all you brave people coming out this morning. I tell you, you did well to get here. Saturday mornings we like our lie-in, don't we? So yeah, we're, we're so pleased that you're here and I'm so pleased to be here as well. And last night, we're going to kind of continue from last night. And for those of you who might not have been here, uh, just to say that we talked about a guy in the Bible in the Old Testament whose name is Mephibosheth. Bit of a hard one to say, get your tongue around. And Mephibosheth was, when he was five years old, very quickly, just the background, when he was five years old, he heard his nurse and some of the people in the palace heard that from the battlefield that, that Mephibosheth's grandfather and his father, Jonathan, King Saul and Jonathan, were both dead on the battlefield. And a nurse ran to rescue the child, to bring him out of harm's way. And as she was running with the child, she dropped him and he became lame on both his legs. And uh, due to no fault of his own, he found himself uh, with no inheritance. He was no longer in line for the throne. He was really, you might say, a displaced person. He was taken out of the, the, the palace and brought to a place called Lodibar. We talked about how Lodibar means a place of no pasture. It means a place where nothing grows, where there's no hope. And uh, we kind of, uh, we kind of uh, realised that none of us wanted to be down in Lodi bar and uh, we realized that this is where he was living uh, and grew up in this place uh, of desolation this place with no inheritance no hope he was actually stuck in Lodi bar and the story goes that king david when he came to the throne uh, and was on his throne he some years later he he um he decided he would love to show grace love and kindness to the household of saul so he asked was there anybody alive from Saul's family and discovered that Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was living down in Lodibar and David just post haste sent down his servants to, we, we reckoned he must have, they must have carried him up to the palace. And when he was set uh, at the table in the palace, uh, David declared that he was, he was the king's son. He would be treated like one of David's own sons and his inheritance was restored. And we saw last night that that's a beautiful picture of what happened to us that we also were dropped at the fall. We, we, we were broken just like Mephibosheth, unable to walk spiritually. We lost everything. We lost, we lost our inheritance because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And from that time that we're born into this world and we're born just like, like Mephibosheth with living in estra estranged from our God and living in a place where really the world has nothing to offer. It's a place where there's nothing to live for really. There's no growth, no life. And uh, so we, we said that God's story was that God wanted to change that. He wanted to send Jesus to come to rescue us, that he would carry us up. You know, with salvation, we can't do it ourselves. We have to just recognise that, we, that we're spiritually lame and just come and ask Jesus to, to forgive us and to lift us. And that's what he does by faith. And he lifts us and sets us up on into the palace, the spiritual palace, the, into into the heavenly places. That's where we're seated. And we're going to see that this morning. And so Mephibosheth, his, his um, inheritance was restored to him. And uh, we wanted just to talk this morning about how when you receive Jesus, when you come to him with whatever needs you have, whether you've known him for a long time, maybe you, you got saved when you were young and maybe you've just gone away or maybe you're just feeling you need to be refreshed. Whatever you need, when you come to him, he wants to lift you and he wants to, he wants to restore you. And we saw last uh, night that, that he not only carried Mephibosheth up to the palace, but he set him at the table. And when he was sitting at the table, the tablecloth would have covered his lameness. 
and everybody else to, to the rest of his sons he looked like all the rest of his sons and we said that jesus that's what he does for us not only carries us but covers our sin he actually doesn't do it with a tablecloth but he puts the robe of righteousness on us and we are carrying our dressed in this robe of righteousness and so we are not only carried and covered but i wanted to talk to you this morning about how we're actually the bible says we're not only only saved and not only our sins forgiven and covered but we're actually conquerors we're the bible says we're actually more than conquerors and so when mephibosheth was sitting up at this table he was he was a man who was no longer a defeated man he had been given a new place i wanted to, to read to you just a, a couple of verses from psalm 23 out of the message i love this because uh, you know david david wrote about um about the about the table sitting at the table and here's the way it's translated in the uh, in in the um, message this is what david said i am not afraid when you walk at my side your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure you serve me a six course dinner right in front of my enemies you revive my drooping head my cup brims with blessing your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. And I guess Mephibosheth could have said that. Because when he sat at that table and the six courses were coming, or maybe 12 courses, I don't know. When he sat at that table, he felt that he was a king again. He, his inheritance was restored. And he, he was a different person and he knew the blessing. And, and he could have said that, that, that God's beauty and love chased after him every day of his life. That he was back home in the house of God, back home in the palace for the rest of his life. And that's what you and I can say. We can, we can honestly say that because, do you know what? We're going to look today at what it's like to be a conqueror, what it's like to live at the palace. What is the palace life like? Well, there's three things. First of all, it's a place of love. It's a place of life. And it's a place of light. You know, there's something about knowing that God loves you. And we can know it in our head. But there's something about actually experiencing that love. There's something about, and again, it's by faith. It's by saying, God, I know you love me. I'm opening up my spirit. I want to receive more of your love. And I want to love you back. And do you know what? The Holy Spirit will help that to happen in your life. God wants you to receive his love. He wants you to feel his love and experience him. And he wants you not only to love him and for to know that he loves you, but he wants you to love the people around you just like what Jesus said, love the Lord your God and your neighbour as yourself. And you see, this is the thing that I think we miss, that God actually wants us to have a healthy love of ourselves. He wants us to live not only in, in, in the light where, you know, Lodi Bar was a place of darkness because nothing grew down there. It was a dismal place. It was a place where Mephibosheth was stuck. But when he was brought up into the palace, he was brought up to, into light and he was brought up into real life where he could live again. But he was brought into a place where there was love. He was brought up to the palace, up to King David's palace. And you and I haven't been brought to a physical palace, but we've been brought to the Father's palace. We've been brought to the house of our Father who loves us and wants to give us the best, wants to give us that six-course meal. And so the, 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 the palace was a place where, where this, this guy, Mephibosheth, who actually we saw last night, looked at himself and called himself uh, like a dead dog. That was his, that was his 
his self-image. That was his mentality. He felt he was just like a dead dog because he couldn't walk. And yet when he was brought to the, the, the palace, he was going to have to learn to think differently. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, because you can't think in the palace, you can't think the same way that you're thinking in Lodibar. If you want to really move from that place of desolation and you want to experience what it's like to live in the Father's house and to live, actually live out and walk in your true inheritance, because God created you to be clothed in glory and honour. He created you for purpose. And if you want to live like that and know who you are truly, you're going to have to start to think differently. Because you see, Mephibosheth was actually had a northern spirit. He had no, he had no, fa- he was fatherless, and he had a bad self-image. And for for those of us who were born into this world, we 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 began to get a very bad self-image right from the earliest. And you see, the thing is that that our thinking goes from pride to shame. I often think about that. We're either too proud and then we're rich shame and to shame. And there's actually a verse in the Bible that actually agrees with that. Because Proverbs 11 says just that. Let me just read it to you. Because uh, this verse, I keep going back to this verse. I just discovered it a year or two ago. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. So what happens is our old nature becomes, we get, oh, I did really well. And that was me. Nobody's like me. But then immediately that happens. But what happens to you? You just shoot right down into, into shame. And we ricochet from one to the other. But God doesn't want us to feel like that or to think like that. God wants us to know who we are, to know our true identity. You see, humility is not shame. Humility is just knowing who we are. That we're made in the likeness of God. That we carry his glory. That we've been redeemed and that we belong to God and he's given us purpose and a destiny. That's walking in who we are. That's the way God wants us to work. So, and the way he wants us to live. So the thing is, when you wake up in the morning in the, in the, king, in the king's house in the palace, you don't start to think, Oh, flip me, this is another day. How am I going to get through this day? Oh, I can't do anything. Everything I do turns wrong. And I can just see this week looming up ahead and it's going to get worse. You don't talk like that. You talk like the daughter of the king. And you say, thank you. Thank you, Father, that I'm in your house. And thank you, Father, that everything's going for me because you're for me and who can be against me? And you begin to speak out and make declarations. So we're going to look at some of the things, some of the ways that we can do this because the Father's house is full of joy. It's full of peace. It's full of opportunity to flourish. Isn't that amazing? That God wants you and me to flourish. He wants us to start budding things, to start blooming. He wants you to be blooming lovely. He wants you to have flowers all over you. He wants you to be fruitful. It's a place of expectancy where you're thinking, God, what are you going to do today? Oh, and I can be part of it with you. It's a place of expectancy. It's a place of freedom. It's a place where you're not shackled to those old chains, those old mindsets, because your thoughts are going round and round and round. And in a moment, we're going to look at, at how what we need to do for this renewing of the mind, these new thoughts. It's a place of wisdom and revelation, because in the king's house, the Holy Spirit is there, and the Holy Spirit begins to open up God's word and begins to give you actually revelation, begins to show you stuff you hadn't seen before, begins to, begin to show you that there is hope, that God has stuff for you to do, you get this revelation. And it's all in his word. When the Holy Spirit 
comes with the word and they both come together revelation explosion whatever way you want to call it it just happens you see things that god shows you that you had never seen before it's a place of goodness and glory it's a place where there's kindness flowing where there's love there's no jealousies there's no there's no com- unhealthy competition there's no there's no spiritual jealousy it's a place of love it's a place where where there's just this this goodness and this love and this this glory of God flowing. It's a place of power and authority. It's a place where we know who we are. And we know that when we declare stuff in agreement with God, that something happens. We begin to realise that we actually have been given authority by Jesus himself. And we begin to operate in that authority. And it's a place where there's resources. <laughs> we have the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to live this life. Listen, If you think that you can't live this life at the palace, you've been believing the lies of the enemy because all the resources that you need are in Christ Jesus. Everything that you need. You have the Holy Spirit. He left the Holy Spirit that you could live this life. He does not want you to live this this orphan mentality. He wants you to live in the fullness of what he has for you. And so it's a place of fulfillment and purpose. Where you have a vision. You know, I love that God gives us a vision. If you open up your spirit at the palace, he will give you a vision of what your life can be like and what he wants to do in your life. And you know, without a vision, people perish. Life's not worth living if you don't have a vision. If you don't realise that he has equipped you to do stuff for him and that he's showing you the way to go. And so it's a place of purpose and fulfilment. Jesus said he came that we would be fulfilled. And it's a place of walking in our true identity. All of those things are pretty cool for the palace, aren't they? And so it's a place where there's no fear. You know, the Bible says there's no fear in love. When we experience God's love, we don't have that unhealthy fear. Because we're, we just, we just, his love just cancels that fear. It's a place where there's not, he doesn't want us to be negative. Do you know, I hate negativity. I absolutely hate it. And you know, when people start talking around me in negative words, I could just cringe i don't want to be around that stuff negative negativity is from the pit of hell it will destroy you you don't listen those are words that satan would whisper to you the palace is a place where there's no fear there's no negativity there's no grudges there's no intimidation or darkness worry and anxiety we just roll it onto the father it's a place where we can roll it it's a place where we overcome It's a place where we're not isolated. It's a place where we're family, where we work together. It's a place of oneness. And so there's a a, a little verse in Proverbs 23 and 7 which says, as a man or a woman, as a woman, let's just take it as a woman, as a woman thinks, so is she. So what are you thinking, girls? What's your thought life like? Are you thinking, are you still down in Lodi Bar? Are you thinking all those negative thoughts about yourself, about your circumstances? about people around you? Are you seeing things through the lens of the enemy? Are you willing today that you might begin to think differently? That you might begin to catch those thoughts? You know, I often say to people, you need to catch the negative thoughts. It's like almost catch them in your brain. And I think the best thing to do with them is get them down onto paper. Get them into your notebook. Get them down there and have a look at them. And just put a big axe axe through them and just say, that is a lie. I know. I refuse, Lord, with your power. I am declaring now because once you want, if you want to change your thinking, you've got to change your, your speaking. 
by confession. That's where the power comes. That's even how, when we first get, become a Christian, we trust Jesus, but then we're to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Confession is a huge part of the Christian walk. And so you're gonna, if you're going to live at the palace, I'm telling you right now, you're going to have to stop, start thinking differently and you're going to have to start speaking differently. You're going to have to stop all that negative chat that just the enemy loves to do. Life and death, Proverbs 18 tells us, is in the power of the tongue. I say that so often. I love it. If you have a Joyce Meyer Bible, go and read what she says about that out of Proverbs 18. You know, whenever we say you'll eat your words, that's a very true saying. That's a biblical saying. You'll eat your words. Because it actually tells us here that life and death is in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, you will eat your words. And if you start speaking negative thoughts, negative stuff over your life, then you're going to you're going to have to eat that. You're going to have to experience that. And so it's so dangerous. No wonder God doesn't want us to live like that. God wants us to be women who speak out in agreement with heaven. What does God say about you? Then you better get into agreement and you better start speaking it out. And the sooner you do that, you begin to get used to palace life because palace life is worth living. So I wanted to look at you in Ephesians 1 and I wanted to just um, go through a few things about what it's like, what do you need to know when you're living at the palace. And uh, Ephesians 1 starts off in verse 3 and it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we start off, first of all, it's a place of blessing. You need to believe and know in your heart and speak it out that you're blessed. That you're a woman who is blessed and you're living in the palace and that's where the blessing flows. And you need to know that right from the beginning and you need to know that you are loved. You know, I've already mentioned this about knowing that God loves you and experiencing it. You know, I talked last night, for those of you who, who were here, about working with clay. And if you remember, I said I really felt this real affinity with the clay. And I actually felt like I kind of loved it as I was shaping it. And, you know, it reminds me that in the Bible that we are described as being like clay in God's hands. And if you will allow him, he will shape you. And sometimes... Sometimes you'll feel that wee bit of pressure and you'll feel, oh, I don't like that shaping because maybe there's something he shows you that he wants to change and you don't want to change it. And that's like God's big thumbs just getting you into shape and it's just a little bit, oh, what was that? But you know what? There's love behind it. She's a God who loves. What would happen if your children were never disciplined, if they were never, if you, if you didn't discipline them at all? What would happen? There'd be disaster. And God does the same with us. He shapes us. And he wants us to present ourselves and just say, you know what, Lord, just come and do what you need to do. Because I want to be able, I want to have the capacity to have more of you. And sometimes that shaping is actually God putting his hand in. You know the way you do to make a pot and you have to pull out some stuff. If you want that pot to be able to carry anything, you've got to pull out some stuff. And sometimes that's what he's doing with us. He's putting his big hand in and he's saying, come on, that has to go. I know it's a bit sore, but I'm going to take it out. And when we let him take it out, it creates capacity for his love, for his purposes. It creates capacity for us to be the woman that he's always planned for us to be. Do you know he's got a unique plan for you? And in fact, it goes on to say here, uh, not only does he love us, 
But verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I mean, did you get all of that? He picked you. You know, do you ever remember at, at school, I remember at primary school, standing up, you know, being a wee shy girl, and they were picking the two teens, you know, and you were thinking, is anybody going to pick me? Do you ever remember that feeling? You want to, it, it was totally shameful if nobody picked you. God has picked you. He's chosen you. Chosen you. Put, put his love, set his love on you from before he even made the world. He loves you so much. So you're chosen. You're blessed. You're without blame. I mean, you know, why do we carry this shame and stuff? You know, so often I'm speaking to women in particular and I'm saying, what are you talking about that for? Sure, God doesn't even remember that. So you asked him to forgive you that for 10 years ago when you're still whining on it. <laughs> he doesn't know what you're talking about. He's forgotten about it. We are without blame. Do you know when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for everything. I love that. Past, even the present stuff it's paid for, and even the stuff in the future, that all the stuff you're going to do and get it wrong, it's all paid for. He doesn't want you to walk carrying that blame and that shame. That is not God's purpose for you. And then it goes on to say that he's predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. I love that, that we are adopted, that we are brought into his family. And I love Romans 8, where it talks about how that we, are, we become the sons and the daughters. We are daughters of the King of Kings. We can call him Abba, Father. We are co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ. I tell you girls, we need to know who we are. We need to step up and say, God, thank you. Thank you what you've given me. You know, this past few years we've been taking groups to Israel. And a couple of years ago, we always stay, whenever we were in Galilee, we always stay in a particular hotel, which is right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a, a beautiful pool just outside our window, just beside the sea. And uh, Pauline knows here has been a few years with us. And you know, a few years ago, uh, there was an Israeli family there, and um, a, a husband and wife, and I think that about two or three kids, small kids. And the kids were running around the pool, and they were jumping on their dad, and he was tossing them into the water. And all I could hear as I was swimming around the pool was, Abba, Abba! And it was the most beautiful sound to my ears, and my heart was, my heart was touched. Because I thought that's the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. Those children were so free. They were playing around the place and they were jumping and they were diving on him and pulling him down and he was resting with them in the water. That's the relationship that Jesus has given you with your Father. And he wants you to enjoy that. He wants you to enjoy knowing that he loves you. That he loves to just throw you up in the air. He loves to dance with you. I remember a few years ago in the midst of the worst of my experience, whenever I was going through divorce and, and was going through really bad years, I remember there was a song going out at that time and it was dancing with the father. And I can remember, it was like how he would throw you up in the air. And I remember thinking, God, throw me up and catch me. God, I want to dance with you. He wants us to be free. He wants us to enjoy the father's house. And then not only that, but we're accepted in the beloved. Oh my goodness. Isn't that amazing? Down in Lodi Bar, you're so rejected. Poor old Mephibosheth felt he had no inheritance. He was rejected. He, was, he hadn't even a house of his own down there. He was living in, with somebody else. He was just a guest in somebody's house. And all of a sudden, he's brought up to the palace. 
and he's accepted into the family. You and I are accepted. Listen, rejection has no part over you. And if you're suffering from rejection, then I suggest you start to catch those thoughts, get them down onto paper, and look at them, and begin to speak the truth over yourself. For every lie that you catch, you need to write down the truth beside it. You need to get the verse, and you need to get the word, and you need to write it down beside it, and you need to stroke out the lie, and you need to say, Lord, that is what I'm going to declare. So if you're going to live at the palace, you've got to start thinking differently, and you've got to start speaking differently. You've got to, start, you've got to stop it. You've got to stop that negative chat. You've got to stop speaking lies over yourself. You've got to stop speaking lies over your past and your future. You've got to come into sync with God. Not only that, but you have an inheritance. We've already mentioned that. Abba, Father, you're a co-heir. Now, here's an interesting one. In first, in first, um, in Ephesians 1, it says that we trusted in him after we heard the word of truth. Remember, we're talking truth this morning. It's the truth that will set you free. It's Satan's lies that will tie you up. So once you receive the word of truth, it says the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, and I want you to get this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is one of my most favourite things in the Bible. That the moment that you ask Jesus to come in, that something happened supernaturally that you couldn't see, that God put a seal on you. It's like a brand. Like he branded you. Like he, he put a mark on you. Now you and I can't see that. But I'll tell you who can see it. Satan can see it. <coughs> Listen, the moment you ask Jesus to be your saviour, the Holy Spirit seals you as belonging to Christ. And nothing or no one can take you away. You're sealed. And the, I'll tell you, when the devil sees that seal, he trembles. Because he knows you're dangerous. And he wants to keep you in Lodi Bar. Where you're going to live like a pauper. Where you're not going to be effective. Where you're going to be miserable. Where everybody's going to look at you and think, my goodness, she hasn't much to live for. Isn't that right? And all the while, God wants to carry you and set you up at the table and say, look, that's your place. Start speaking like a daughter of the king. Start thinking and talking like the daughter of the king. You see, you're seated in heavenly places. I love, I love, um, I'm going to pop into, into Ephesians chapter 2 for a minute or two as well, because it starts off there saying that you're the one who's been made alive, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Yes, you were like a dead dog. That's right, you were. That's the truth. But you're made alive. You've accepted Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You've been set at the table. That's your rightful place. And you need to live. Jesus said he came to give us life to the full. Life worth living. That's where we're meant to sit. And I love, oh my goodness, chapter Ephesians 1 and 2, I absolutely love them. It goes on to say that we're saved by grace, by his great love which he has loved us. You know, if you start speaking out and thanking God that he loves you, you'll soon begin to feel his love. That's the truth. It's all this stuff where you're talking about, oh, God doesn't love me, he loves her more than me. And God said, just start speaking it out. Just start speaking out, thank you, God, that you love me. And you need to know that he has raised us up together. Now here's the key verse. We could put this key verse over my two talks. You who is raised up together and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where the table is. That's sitting in heavenly places. That's where God wants you to be. You know, I wasn't going to tell you this wee story, but I think I will. A few weeks ago, I was in one of those 
times where like, just a few things have happened and over the summer and sickness and stuff and a few things and, and one night I was lying in bed and uh, in, at home my, in my bedroom there's two single beds and William won't sleep in his own bed so he sleeps in that bed beside me and I was lying and I was really really um, just like the enemy was trying to intimidate you and I told you this last night because you're living at the palace doesn't mean he's not come round he will come round and he'll try it and he was coming around and he was coming around with lies you know what would happen if William got hurt or there's a few things I'd seen and it happened and it just was bringing a kind of a fear I couldn't bear to see William suffering and it was and I was you know rebuking you know where you rebuking you you know Lord I, I just bind that up and I don't believe that and that's not the truth and all the rest of it but and I kind of got a bit of peace but anyway the next morning I felt it kind of made a bit of a okay God and I finally got to sleep couldn't sleep to about four o'clock in the morning finally got to sleep woke up in the morning and uh, Jane uh, was outside in the hall I could hear her in the hall Jane's a girl who for those of you who don't know who does a program with William she's like a daughter to me and I could hear her in the hall and I said I said Jane come on in and she came in I said Jane I had an awful night last night I was I was really troubled you know that all those old fears and stuff were coming against me and just as we were talking William woke and he sat up in the bed and usually the minute he wakens, he's up out of the bed like a shot, but he just sat up in the bed, looked around, and here's what he did. Jesus! Then he goes, Jesus! He did that for about four times. And then all of a sudden, there's a wee chorus that he had learnt years ago from salty tapes or from their videos. And here he was, higher, 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 higher. Do you know that song? <laughs> Left Jesus higher. And then he goes, Lower, lower, <coughs> put Satan lower. I couldn't get the Satan out, but go lower. And then he's going like this. And I'm looking, my jaw dropped. I looked at Jane, she looked at me. And then he was kind of going like, he looked at me, real bull, eyeballed me, and he went, You say, you say, higher, higher, lower, lower. And I go, so I Okay, higher, higher. <laughs> and, then, and then he goes like this. It was for all the world like he was putting the angels around him. That's what it looked like. And, and I just, it was like a lightning on. And I said, I just started to declare. I said, thank you, God. Thank you that William, who is, who is so weak, who can't even have talk. God, thank you that you've reminded me that you're higher than everything. And I'm seated with you in the heavenly places. And I started to declare over him that the angels were around him and that he would never be That's the God that we have. That's the God who wants us to trust him. Because we're seated with him. We're not sitting down in Lodi Bar. We're seated with him in the palace. And we're, we're, we're just his daughters. And he wants us to know that. And then further down the chapter, it says, verse, verse 10, chapter 2 of Ephesians, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, I love this. Do you know what that word workmanship means? It means you're God's poem. I know there's somebody writing poems this weekend. I remember, you. I'm sure nobody here remember this, but I remember whenever I was about 14, there was a song going around called Poetry in Motion. Anybody remember it? I think it might have come out again later on or something, didn't it? Well, I remember it first time round. 
<coughs> poetry in motion. And you know, God's workmanship, we are his poem. Let me read to you what it says in the Spirit-filled Bible about this. It says this word, poema, that's what it is in the Greek, Greek emphasizes God as the master designer, the universe as his creation, and the redeemed believer is his new creation. Before conversion, our lives had no rhyme or reason. Conversion brought us balance, symmetry, and order. We are God's poem, his work of art. And actually, the word actually means masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. God wants you. He wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know that he has a plan for you, that he has made you a certain way. You need to know that you're unique. You need to start looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, thank you, God, that I'm unique. Thank you, God, you've made me beautiful. Thank you, God, you've got a plan for me. You need to start speaking to that face of yours in the mirror and start thanking God. He made you to be just you because I'm going to let you into a secret. Nobody else can ever be you. And you know what? You can never be anybody else. And why would you want to be? Because you could never be what, what they're meant to be. You've only got one. It's you. You have a plan. He's a plan for you. And I'll tell you that your arch enemy does not want you. He doesn't want you to fulfill that plan and that destiny. Your arch enemy is against you. And you need to know that and be sure of it. And be sure that God is with you. And that God wants to work out his plans for you. I just love this God. I love this God who is so intimate, who has such a, such a perfect destiny for us to fulfill. There's stuff that only you can do. I say this all the time. There's things that only you can do. And he wants you to know that you're his work of art. Do you think you could get used to living in the palace? Well, let me tell you another story. I'm sorry I have a lot of my stories about William, but you know, it just seems to be that way. But you know, a few years ago, uh, Jane and I, whenever William would go and see his father and spend a few days with his father, Jane and I decided we'd have a bit of a break and we would go down to the, the um, hotel in uh, Steve Donard in, in Newcastle. And of course, we loved the spa and everything. It was very relaxing and all the rest of it. And then there was a wee season came where William uh, wasn't able to go down to his dad. Uh, it wasn't just uh, working out. And we wondered, I wonder, could could we try bringing William with us? You know, thought, well, let me try it. So anyway, we went down, booked in, and arrived at the hotel. And uh, we could see him begin to, he saw the big hotel, I wanted to chest kind of a bit. And uh, anyway, we got into the bedroom and uh, it was like the first thing down to the spa. And I uh, got the dressing robes, you know, dressing gowns and all on. This dressing gown, you could see him picking the chest. Whenever he gets excited, the chest does go out. So anyway, we got this on to him and uh, we headed down to the spa. Well, he took a look around. <laughs> First thing into the swimming pool, he loved, he loved the water, we didn't know that. So he starts swimming up and down the pool. Then he's out and he's looking around him. And he's over to the jacuzzi. And he's lying up in the jacuzzi. And he told me about the next thing he wanted to go to the steam room. And he's sitting in the steam room. And you know, see at home. At home you couldn't get him to drink water if it would kill you. He's carrying the water around. Drinking himself and carrying us. Carrying water to us. It was like there was never going to be any more water tomorrow. <laughs> I tell you, 
he soon got used to the palace. <laughs> he was very at home in the palace. <laughs> and I'll tell you ladies, if you start to do what we're talking about this weekend, if you start to speak out what God says, if you start to notice what you're thinking and catch out those lies and record them so that you can go back and look at them and whenever they come, because they will come back, I'll tell you Satan doesn't give up easily. So you can be sure it's not going to be like a one-trick pony. It's not going to be like, you know, you'll do it once or twice. No, you'll come back with the same old rubbish. Because he studies you, doesn't he? And he knows exactly where our weak spot is. And he will come to that same weak spot time after time, and it will always be lies. And if it is a bit of truth, it's wrapped up in a lie to present itself like a truth. And you know what? We're just that big suckers. We just fall for it every time. That's why we need each other. Because there's times when we need to remind each other, hey, I, sure, I thought you dealt with that last year. You know, we need, we need to cast the lies, we need to record them, and we need to be diligent that when the enemy comes that we're saying, uh-uh, you're not catching me out in that one. Because here's what God says. And when we start declaring and confessing and speaking out what God says, do you know what happens? When you, whatever you speak out, your emotions fall in behind. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like living in truth in light. There's nothing like living at the palace. There's nothing like living for God. I love, uh, I love the fact that we are royalty. We're meant to live at the palace. Let me read this verse to you. First Peter 2 and 9. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Here's the way it puts it in the message. That you would talk, sorry, that you would tell others of the night and day difference that God has made for you. He brought you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. You see, he wants to carry us out of that awful place, out of Lodi Bar. He wants to set us into our true identity in heavenly places, ruling with Christ Jesus, where Satan is under our feet, at the palace. He wants us to know that our sins are covered, that we're dressed in the robes of righteousness, we're dressed, as, we're, we're, we're dressed in a fitting way for the palace, for palace life. And he wants us to know that when we confess what God says and walk in the truth of that, he wants us to know that we become conquerors and that we become women who can actually pass on and tell others of what God has done for us. Last night I was thinking, if you were trying to get all the seeds lined up, you'd say, I'm not trying to now. But if I was, I would be saying we were able to confer something onto the people around us. You see, women are naturally, we're naturally reproducers. We're naturally nurturers. And God wants that to be translated into the spiritual, that we can actually see others reproduce, to see others coming into the kingdom and nurture them and grow them. Listen, there's a job for all of us to do. Every one of you is a leader. If there's somebody that you know who doesn't know Jesus and you're a leader, you better lead them. Isn't that right? God wants you to know who you are. Will you straighten up your shoulders? Be like William. William's chest was out like this. He was, he was the best posture I ever saw. And he was marching around you, thought he owned the sleeve down. You and I need to have that same mentality spiritually. Know who you are. 
you're the king's God. So Father, we just pray as they, we haven't done worship, yeah, as their worship team come. Father, we pray this morning that you would speak specifically. God, I know that, that you're doing business. I know, God, that I know that you're at work right now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We want you to take over, Holy Spirit. We, we know, Lord, that without you we can do nothing. And so, Holy Spirit, as we, um, as we just take a moment or two just to be silent and to wait before you, we just want to open up our hearts to you, Lord, our spirits. We want to say, Lord, would you come? And Lord, for those who are still uh, in Lodi Bar, maybe they're going from Lodi Bar up to the palace and then back to Lodi Bar. <laughs> Lord, for those who are living where you don't want them to live, Lord. Lord, those who are believing the lies of the enemy, I pray, Lord, tonight, this morning, that you, Holy Spirit, would shine your light into those dark places in our hearts. God, we know we all have those dark areas in our hearts. Would you shine right now into every woman's heart in this place? And God, I just pray that this morning would not just be a laugh or a time to, to be clever or a time to look at the scriptures and say that was a good story. But God, we are asking this morning that this would be a time of life transformation. That this would be a time when women will go out the door this morning and they will never be the same again. God, we're, we're calling for nothing less. And God, right now in faith, I believe, and I, I speak it out, oh God, I believe in faith, Holy Spirit, that you are right now taking arrows and you're putting your word right into dark places and you're shedding light and you are illuminating women in those dark places where lies have been lying for too long. I believe, oh God, that you want to do business that will change our lives entirely. Lord, we want to hand it over to you right now. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will stir up hearts in these women, that you would draw them, Holy Spirit, to come to the front, not that the front can do anything, but Lord, there's something about responding to you, oh God, we know, that delights your heart. And God, I pray that we'll stir up hearts and that women will come and get business done. And Lord, that you will touch deeply. And Lord, we all, Lord, I want them to. I want more of you. I want more of you. I know every woman in this place is here because they want more. So God, we are looking to you now. Holy Spirit, come have your way. Have your way with us. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We will have people up at the, around the front here who will be so happy to pray for you. Please, as we're worshipping, just feel free to come up. Just, just to acknowledge that you want more. Just to say, God, please, let my permanent dwelling be at the palace. I don't want to go back to Lodi Bar. In Jesus' name.